Well, tonight we start this new series in the book of Corinthians. Uh, as Jerry said, we've been working through this book uh, over the past couple of years, doing a section at a time. We, we did one to six, and then we did six all the way through to chapter 11. Uh, and then now we get into the kind of crazy bit. Uh, we get into the bit that everyone kind of disagrees on. Uh, we start looking at this section of the Bible, which focuses our eyes on the spirit-filled life. Uh, this section of God's Word raises a lot of questions. It raises questions about life. Questions about life after death, uh, about love, about miracles and miraculous gifts and speaking in tongues and prophecy and the role of the Spirit. All the stuff that kind of people often disagree about and, and kind of want to know more on. What we've seen throughout history is that Christians differ in their understanding of these passages, sometimes causing division, sometimes causing whole new denominations to be birthed. Now, there'll be plenty of questions that we have and I want to encourage you, as Jerry said, to do, write down questions on your Connect card. We'll have time throughout the series to ask questions. But the questions, if you've got them and you want to write them down on that little card you've got in your outline, they'll help us as we kind of go through this series to be able to make sure we're answering the questions that are in your mind as we work through. Can't promise we'll get them all, but have a go. Write them down see where we get to. At the heart of these chapters of the Bible is this question. What is true spirituality? What is true spirituality? And do you have it? True spirituality, that's where we are. The desire for power, the desire for a faith that's got more pizzazz for authentic and real experience of, of God should drive the Christian life, shouldn't it? Shouldn't we want the power of God? Shouldn't we want true spirituality? If God is supernatural and He has given supernatural gifts to His Church, why would we settle for anything less? Why would we settle for half-baked gifts? The question for us as we kind of get to this section of the Bible is, what is true spirituality? Some claim that they have inspired teachers. You heard some people, come and hear this teacher. You know, other people who say, we've got these power preachers that, that speak into our lives or spiritual healers or motivational speakers that change the way I live, that give me life to the full. Others claim that the power of the Spirit is in them to, to give health and wealth and prosperity. If you, if you come to Jesus and experience this spiritual life, if you embrace the spiritual gifts, then you'd be living God's way and it would be so much easier and better. Others say, look, sure, you can be a Christian, but you can also be a spiritual Christian. If you're not a spiritual Christian, you're missing out on the power of God and the presence of God. You're missing out. They're real questions that face us. Uh, this week, I was flicking through the central leader. Does anyone get the central leader? I shut hands. Oh, whoa, hardly any of you. There's this newspaper. And I'm not going to show you the rugby score from the weekend, although I'd love to. Um, but there's this newspaper that gets put in the letterboxes of so many people. Don't go out and read it, because what I'm about to show you is not the best thing at all. And I noticed this week, as I opened up the central leader, and I've got a picture of it on the screen. So here you go. Is this double-page spread. It says this, with God, nothing is impossible. There's this great event. And if you see in detail, let me show you a bit more. Go to the next slide. Look at this. You can go to this event and you will receive for free a small bottle of blessed water blended with genuine drops of water from the water well at the Temple of Solomon in Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe go to the next slide. Don't look at when that is or where it is. We'll talk about that later. Um, 
Now, it's kind of like this massive double-page ad about saying God can do the impossible if you just come to this event. It's not in four locations, which I'm not going to show you where they are uh, or tell you when it is. Um, but let me read to you. It was last year. Um, no, it wasn't. It was the 19th of October this came out. Let me read to you what this event is about. And I just want you to, to show you that this is a real question. This event is for those who've wanted to succeed in life but have been unable to, no matter how hard they tried. It's for those who feel like their problems are impossible to solve. They've been everywhere looking for help, doctors, lawyers, therapists, and even consulting spiritists, witchcraft and the occult, but their lives keep spiraling downwards and at the end of their rope. That's where the Nothing is Impossible event comes in, where the pastors of the Help Centre will give you practical guidance about your problems, but more importantly, will cry out to God for you to reverse the impossible causes in your life. They're saying, come, God is able to reverse the impossible causes in your life. There's testimonies here of people who've been healed, people who've had all sorts of stuff happen. And they're saying that this... This church, these people um, will change the way you live, will give you a powerful life. Now, I've got to say, if that is true, I want in. How crazy would you not be to go to that event? If it's true, that little vial of water changes everything and makes everything go well in your life and that God heals all our problems, then we'd be crazy not to want in, wouldn't we? We'd be missing out. If, If that's available, we are missing out. The problem is when we read things like that, for many of us, there's a sense of skepticism that comes in. Does the supernatural actually happen? Is this legit? That's when we come across two unnecessary enemies with this whole idea of true spirituality. Two unnecessary enemies. Point two. Those enemies are rationality and spirituality. Two unnecessary enemies. Rationality and spirituality. For some, rationality is what drives everything about our world. We kind of look at the world around us and we only believe what we can see and understand. Empirical truth and reasoning is is kind of what drives us. And the idea of being moralistic and right. And when we hear of miracles, kind of like this, we're embarrassed. It just shows everyone else that Christians are loopy. That they believe this stuff, this sort of thing can go on. Because we only believe in the ordinary, because we're very rational. But for others of us, it's the extraordinary that carries weight and power. Sure, God can do things and he's said stuff and and there's rational thought about these things. But what I really want is the God of the universe to grip me, to show me worlds unseen, to tell me things that are just impossible for anyone else to know. I want to experience God. I want to experience the supernatural. And I'll only believe in God if something supernatural happens to me personally. And there are these two kind of extremes in the world around us. What I want to show you tonight is that Christianity is neither of those extremes, but it is both rational and spiritual. It is both rational and spiritual. Not just rational, not just spiritual. See, miracles, they're the the essence of Christianity. Jesus' resurrection from the dead, that is a miracle. And Paul says if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the whole Christian faith is a joke and we should eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. At the heart of the Christian faith is a phenomenal supernatural event. Jesus did miracles. That's what the Bible claims. The apostles did miracles. There are gifts given that seem to be miraculous. The Bible 
if it is about a God who is the creator of all things, is at his very heart supernatural, isn't it? But it's also profoundly logical. See, Paul uses this very argument in, in a couple of chapters' time in 1 Corinthians 15. He uses a rational argument. He says there are people around that saw Jesus rise from the dead. I'm not just telling you the resurrection happened and I want you to go on and believe it. I'm telling you it happened and there are witnesses. In fact, over 500 saw him at once. Some of those people are still alive today and you can go and speak to them and ask them, go follow it up for yourself. Christianity is is grounded in history and it's completely rational and logical. Paul argues throughout Corinthians in a logical way at the Areopagus. Um, Paul speaks of the statue to the unknown God and he argues logically that this statue they have is the true and living God. That Jesus came and died and lived and that they should worship him as the true and living God. Don't get caught in this dualism going one way or the other about rationality and spirituality. True spirituality, true Christianity is both rational and spiritual, both natural and supernatural. But if we swing to either of the two poles... We end up doing a disservice to God and a disservice to ourselves. Let me ask you today, as we enter into these questions, to which of the two poles of rationality or spirituality do you lean? What way are are you most naturally kind of leaning toward as you think about your view of God and his world? The lesson for all of us will be to let the Bible shape our view of God and how he works. As we enter into this series, there's no intent in proving one group of people or one church or another group of church wrong. We want to see how God will shape us and our view of his word. So Paul starts 1 Corinthians 12 like this. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1. Now concerning what comes from the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. I do not want you to be unaware. As Paul writes to this church in Corinth, we start seeing that this church was the gifted church. This church was, they knew stuff about spiritual things. Uh, There are probably the same spectrum of people in this church as there are here today or in our world today. There were people that wanted to ban speaking in tongues in that church. And there were people who wanted to focus on speaking in tongues. Like it was the only thing that mattered. Whatever way we look at it, spirituality and gifts were a focus for the church. Listen to how Paul begins 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 4. I always thank my God for you, Corinthians, because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus, that by him you were enriched in everything, in all speech and all knowledge. You do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Corinthian church was the gifted church. Paul addresses them as the church with every spiritual gift. They did not lack any spiritual gifts, none. However, their focus was extraordinarily dangerous. They're about the second worst church in the whole New Testament after the Galatian church. They had these focuses of their favorite teachers. One followed Paul, one followed Apollos, one followed Peter. Another says, I follow Christ. They were just so divided around which, which super apostle they followed. You know, some's like, I'm a piper. Piper's my man. You know, me and the J-pipes, we go way back. 
Other people are like, no, 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 I'm like a Keller. He's my guy. Well, then there's this, this T.D. Jake's guy. And there's all these people. And, and these guys were like, no, no, I'm following this guy. I'm following that guy. And they had divisions amongst them. They focused on their favorite teachers. They took pride in their Christian liberty. We're free. God has saved us. And so we're free to do whatever we want because God has freed us. And one of them was sleeping with his stepmother. Can you imagine that? A guy sleeping with his stepmother, his dad's wife. And the rest of the church are proud. And Paul's like, what is going on with you? This is not the way to live. Some were banning gifts. And so Paul has to say, don't forbid speaking in tongues. Others um, were kind of focusing on them so much that that was all they thought about. And Paul basically calls them a, a resounding gong. You're just clanging away. You don't care about anyone. You're so focused on your gifts. Some of them even denied the future resurrection um, of us. They denied that Jesus was coming back. They said Jesus has already come back. They're living the supernatural life now. We're loving it. We're living it up. We're like kings. In fact, Paul chastises them about the way they live like that. Listen, 1 Corinthians 4.8. Write it down and check it out. Listen to this. And he's a little bit sarcastic. He says, you are already full. You're already rich. You've begun to reign as kings without us. And I wish you did reign so that we could also reign with you. For I think God has displayed us, the apostles, in last place, like men condemned to die. We've become a spectacle to the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ, but you, you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the world's garbage, like dirt. Everyone scrapes off their sandals. Doesn't sound like Paul's living the resurrection life. The life of everything being in its right place. No more sin, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Paul and the apostles are saying, we're still living this age now where not everyone is trusting Jesus, not everyone has come to know him. But you, you're living it up like you're kings already. Some in Corinth were preaching that the resurrection life was now, the life of blessing was now, the life of experiencing all of God's goodness should come to us now. So live it up in health and wealth and prosperity. But that was not the experience nor the teaching of the apostles. Their focus was very different. Do you remember the very beginning of 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1, 22, Paul says this. For the Jews, they ask for signs. And the Greeks, they seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews. Foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's power and God's wisdom. Paul preaches Christ He preaches Jesus as the focus. And that is what the focus needs to be for us and for this church. They think they're the spiritual church, that they've got true spirituality. But listen to the way Paul addresses them. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1. 3, verse 1. Brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. What does this all tell us? Just because... You are the gifted church. Just because you have every spiritual gift does not mean you are spiritual. He can't even address them as spiritual people. True spirituality 
is much more than flashy signs and supernatural gifts and extraordinary miracles. Just because you have some gift of tongues or of wisdom or of knowledge or of prophecy or of administration or of helps or healing, just because you have some special gift does not make you spiritual. We need to get that into our minds because it's very different from the air we breathe around us. 12 verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning what comes from the Spirit, literally that word there, from the Spirit, uh, some of your Bibles have um, concerning spiritual gifts. Can I have a show of hands? Whose Bible says, now concerning spiritual gifts? Yep. So they're picking up the idea that Paul's going to speak of gifts a lot later in the chapter, but the word gifts is not there at that point. It's kind of like they've kind of brought in some of the heading. It just is, now concerning spiritual things or spirituals, or spirituality. That, that's kind of what's, what's on view. Concerning what comes from the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. So what is true spirituality? Point four. What is true spirituality? Well, we see in this part, as Paul focuses in on it in his crosshairs toward the Corinthian church, that true spirituality is not the miraculous. This was the gifted church, yet they were spiritual babies. We have this tendency, like I just said, to to start thinking that if if someone has a gift, it must be from God. If someone is able to do something miraculous, that must be something God is doing. We saw in Exodus, when we looked at that a few years ago, that um, some of Pharaoh's magicians were even able to do some of the signs that Moses did. Didn't mean they were doing them from God. Jesus said in Mark 13 on the screen, For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Just because it's supernatural doesn't mean it's spiritual or from God. Listen to Jesus even stronger. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. They were all gifts and no obedience. They did this prophecy and casting out of demons, but they weren't truly followers of Christ. True spirituality is treating Jesus as your Lord. Look at verse 3. Chapter 12, verse 3. So I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The true mark of true spirituality is treating Jesus as your Lord. You don't Treat Jesus as the master of your life if if you haven't been captured by God the Spirit, if He hasn't come to you and shown you how great Jesus is. You don't say, I'm going to serve Him with my life because I think He's some accessory who's not true. (laughs) You serve Him with your life because you're convinced that that He is the one who has risen from the dead because God has come and gripped you. Paul is saying you can only treat Jesus as your King by the work of God the Spirit. You're letting him call the shots in your life. That's true spirituality. What does Jesus say? You did so many miracles in my name, 
but they didn't obey him. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. The true mark of the spiritual person is letting him call the shots in your life. That's how you know if you are a Christian or not. If Jesus is your Lord. The true mark of a spiritual person isn't casting out demons, but forgiving your enemy. You might be able to cast out demons, whoa, but if you can forgive your enemy, man, that only happens by the Spirit of God. The true mark of, of the spiritual person is not speaking languages or tongues, it's paying your taxes. It's obeying what God said, it's putting Jesus first. The picture here of the spiritual person is a picture of the Christian. There's not two types of Christianity. Sometimes you might have heard people come along and say they're, they're like natural Christians, who are Christians and they're just kind of in the Christian life, but there's a whole new level of the super spiritual Christian. They have the, the power of the Spirit in them and they're on a whole new level. No, that's not what this passage is saying at all. We'll see this in a moment. There's not two types of Christianity, sort of spiritual and unspiritual Christianity. But there is only one, and that is those who have God the Spirit living in them. Listen to Romans verse, chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God lives in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You cannot be a Christian without God's Spirit. How do I know if I have the Spirit of God? If Jesus is your Lord. Not you just say that he's Lord. Anyone can say Jesus is Lord. You might have a parrot and you could teach it to say, you know, Jesus is Lord. Oh, he's a Christian. Look at that. Because he says it. No, no, no. It's, it's living it. And so it is, you know, just because someone once said, oh, Jesus be cursed, doesn't make them a non-Christian. Uh, being anathema, Jesus isn't who he claims to be. That's what that's about. But if, if you just say those words, if it's just about the plain speaking of those words, then, well, Paul wouldn't be a Christian because he wrote them. Oh, he's not a Christian. You, wrote, you, said, you said it here. It's written down. No, it's living them out. If you have Jesus as your Lord, God, the Spirit lives in you and you are a Christian. So let me ask, are you living a truly spiritual life? Are you obeying Jesus? Do you love what he loves? Do you hate what he hates? I want to be very clear with us as we start this whole section on the Spirit-filled life that obedience of Jesus, placing Him as your King, making Him your Lord, is the mark of the Spirit-filled life. If you're here tonight and you're investigating spirituality, you're checking out these things of God and what it means to be a Christian or what the claims of the Bible are, I really want to point you tonight to Jesus. That's what Paul does. He says, if you want a spiritual life, if you want to understand life beyond death, if you want to know God, come and meet Jesus. When you see him for who he is, you'll serve him as your Lord. You let him call the shots in your life because God the Spirit will be living in you. Now, it sounds a bit freaky, but that's our only hope. If God comes and shows us how great Jesus is, I want to encourage you to come to explaining Christianity. Come and see the claims of Jesus. Ask a friend who invited you here tonight or chat with someone. Do not go on thinking that this is all there is. We eat, we drink, we die, we're worm food. It's a lot to gamble your life on when history points that someone rose from the dead rationally. There are eyewitness accounts and those eyewitness accounts say that this one who rose from the dead was God and he said there is life beyond death and he promised to come and 
live in us and mold us and shape us and give us life forever. Come and check out this Jesus. Well, Paul then goes on to show around this picture of the local church that there is great diversity among the church, but also a central unity. We'll pick up on this next week as well in a different image. But there is great diversity and unity when it comes to these spiritual things and gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4. Now there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God activates each gift in each person. What do we see here? Well, I've done it a bit funny on the screen so we can see. Everyone kind of talks about spiritual gifts. Um, But here, Paul kind of has them as as quite similar. There's gifts, there's ministries or services and activities, which is just work. There, There are gifts, different gifts, different ministries, different activities. And we see that behind them is the same God. Now, at no point does Paul kind of slow down and explain what each of these gifts are. There's a list that's about to come. And he just lists them out in this big, long list of what the gifts are. At no point does he kind of tell us what each gift is. If he had, forests would have been saved from people writing books about what this gift is and what that gift is. There are so many books written and so much ink spilt. But he didn't have an appendix. So you turn to Appendix 1 where I have a definition of every gift. It just isn't there. Why is that? Well, it's obvious because he doesn't really care about the detail of each gift. That's not his kind of main focus. It's funny, we spend all our time so often trying to work out, oh, what is the gift of tongues? What is the gift of prophecy? What is the gift of, of, of healing and how does that work? What is apostleship? And we, we kind of debate them and try and think through them. But for Paul, that's just not a thing. He spends all his time showing the diversity of gifts. He shows that there's just many of them. And there's different lists in different places. There's, there's another list later in Romans 12, a different list in Romans, a different list in Ephesians, and one Peter's got other ones. And these gifts, they're not all the same. They don't line up. The other thing that's interesting to see is that there doesn't seem to be a difference between what we might call supernatural gifts and natural gifts. Sometimes people come along and they go, you know, you might have a gift of being able to um, organize things well or, or oversee and lead people. That's just like a natural gift. Lots of people have that. But then there's like supernatural gifts that you might know something that happens or have a word from God or a word of knowledge. They're, they're the cool ones. They're the exciting ones. But Paul doesn't seem to kind of go, well, there's really exciting supernatural ones. And there's these other ones over here that like lots of other people have as well. He puts them in the same list together. You see, in the same list as kind of words of knowledge and prophecy and healing, gifts of administration. Now, administration is not really that sexy, is it? You know, every time I hear people going, yeah, I really want to seek the gifts in my life, I don't hear anyone going, please give me the gift of administration. (laughs) Why not? It's in the same list. It's probably talking about how to oversee and lead. Uh, It's not just your kind of emails, but, you know, uh, it's not just going, oh, but, but, but why don't we hear the kind of churches saying, oh, I want gifts, we want God's power, I want administration. Why doesn't... It's because they're not reading God's word as God's word. They're bringing in some kind of picture that we want something special, some pizzazz, some signs. There are many gifts. And in the diversity of gifts, we see one amazing fact. No one is left out. 
God has given these gifts to his church. Look at verse 7. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person. Every person has a gift from God. God has gifted the church the way he wants to gift the church. He's the one who gives the gifts. And how great that is. No one misses out. Here's a newsflash for us all. You ready? We are all different. Right? That's great. That is, we don't celebrate difference enough. We kind of go, I want to be like them. I wish I was like them. Imagine if this whole church was all little Rowans. Yeah. I wouldn't even come. I'd be like, oh, please, no. Like, imagine the other extreme. If this whole church was just like you. You're like, right? Thank God we're different. Thank God that he's brought us and gifted us differently and given different people different gifts. Um, See, this is one of the great things. God has given the gifts. And he's given them in a diversity. And that's great and fine. We don't need to worry because we've all been given the gifts. The gifts that God has given us and becoming a Christian is kind of like, um, well, it's not like being on an airplane. There you go. Being a Christian is not like being on an airplane. Let me explain this kind of image to you. Have you ever been on a large airplane that goes a long way overseas where they've got kind of different sections, like you've got first class and you've got economy? Right? Have you ever been on the, you kind of come in a plane, you sit down in your economy seat and everyone's this massive, this long bit at the back and there's all these aisles, but you kind of, you walk from the front down, you sit down and the plane kind of takes off and then the air hostess gets up with that little curtain between kind of economy and first class and they kind of go and they go to shut the curtain and look at you all as if to say, if you just worked harder, There's like their first class. Who knows what happens up there? We were on an Emirates plane once and their first class is upstairs. And I was like, I just want to see what it's like. Like, There's this staircase up the middle of the plane that goes up to the A380. And I'm like, I wanted one of our kids to run up there so I could go and get them. (laughs) Came around the corner and there's a lady standing there. Hi, sir. I'm like, oh, I was just going to... No, you can't go up there. Christianity is not like that. Where there are first class gifts and economy class gifts. God has given the gifts as he determines. He has given them to us. We don't go, but I want what he wants and I want what she's got and she wants what he's got. We trust God in his giving of the gifts because he has given every Christian gifts. Do you hear that? Every Christian has gifts. Do you know what that means? Every Christian is charismatic. Every Christian, charismatic, actually comes from the word gifts. Charis, grace, gift. So that first bit of charismatic means gift. Every Christian is gifted. We are a charismatic church. We are churches that have been, uh, people that have been gifted to serve one another and love one another by God. To say that, oh no, the gifts aren't for today is kind of crazy. Because God has given us these gifts to serve one another. We're going to see over the next few weeks what they are and how they play out. Well, a little bit of what they are, but, but how they are to be played out. But the thing we must see amongst this diversity is a very clear unity. A very clear unity. There's diversity of gifts, but they're all given from the one God. I don't know if you noticed, if you flick back um, to the verses 4 and 5 for a second. The one, sorry, I should have put this in the right order. So how great are you guys? Well done. Um, 
See, there's different gifts being expressed. They can click buttons and get it to the right slide. Anyway, there are different gifts, but the same Spirit. Different ministries, same Lord, same God. Do you see that? Same Spirit, same Lord, same God. There's a very clear unity behind this, and it's the triune God. Lord, Jesus, Spirit, God the Spirit, um, God the Father. This is a triune God. The gifts come from God. There's one God behind every gift. We don't only call the gifts the gifts of the Spirit. God is behind it all. Father, Son, and Spirit. Each person of the Trinity is equally involved in every action. Now, obviously, the Son died on the cross, not the Father or the Spirit. Um, The Spirit is the one here who uh, takes the gifts that the Father wants and gives them to the people. Uh, The Father gives His his directive, His will, His plan to the Son. The Son enacts the will of the Father. Uh, Jesus and the Father send the Spirit into the world. They have different roles, but they are all united as the one God behind each of them. Look at verse 11 of chapter 12. But the one and the same Spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. Ever found yourself saying, look, I wish I had this gift. I really want it. I really want to pray for this particular gift. I want to see that happen. And you find yourself really wanting it. Let me say this to you. It gives you a great comfort. God has made you who you are. Trust him. God has given gifts as he wants for his purpose to build his church. Just like salvation is a gift from God, so is the gifts that we have. If we understand that God's the one who gives the gifts, then we'll rightly avoid two ugly sins. The first sin is arrogance. You know that moment when you say, I am the best preacher in the world. I'm I'm not. You might not say that. But you think, you know, I'm pretty good at this thing. Look at how good I am. Look at what marks I got at university or how well I've gone. Look at my natural talents. Look at how handsome I am. You know, I don't know what it is for you. But we kind of go and we think, look at these abilities that I have. And I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually pretty good. I've excelled. There's nothing wrong with celebrating our achievements. But do remember that God gave them to you. You didn't come up with them yourself. God, you, you didn't go, yes, I'm going to work really hard to have the IQ that I have. God made you who you are. Uh, yeah, yeah there, there is responsibility for how we act in the world. If we you know, just play Xbox all day, we're going to be dumb. It's just true. Remember that. Um, and that goes for all the other ones as well, not just Xbox, in case anyone's like, oh, I don't play Xbox. I'm like Nintendo. So. <laughs> it stops us from being arrogant because God is the one who gives the gifts. And it also stops us from another ugly sin of jealousy. Oh, I wish... I was more like them. I wish I could, you know, I could play the drums. I wish I could clap on two and four instead of one and four. You know? I don't know what beat that was. But, um, you know, I wish I was like them. I wish I could do that. God made you how you are with the gifts that you have. When you say, I really, really want that thing, and God, I really want you to give it to me, you're saying, God, I know better than you in how to see your plans unfold in the world. You should have given me the gift of this or that or of healing or of tongues because that would have been way better because I know better than you, God. God gives his church. They've been given to us for his purposes. That doesn't mean we can't ask God to gift us with needs that we see for the community that we're in. In the same way God gifts us salvation, we're still told to, to work for that, to understand God more, to seek him to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. So we are to uh, see the gifts develop. We're to use them. Not just be like, I should have the gift of teaching and one day get up and be like, John Piper preacher. I don't know. It doesn't work like that. We need to seek them. 
but God has made you who you are for his purpose. And point six, what is the purpose of the gifts? What is their purpose? We're going to see this in more detail in the following weeks, but there's one thing that this section is clear on. Verse seven, I want you to see the purpose of the gifts. A demonstration of the Spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. What's the purpose of the gifts? To produce what is beneficial. Now, what does it mean to be beneficial? What's beneficial to me? What's beneficial to the church I'm in, to my family, to the world, to God? What, what does he mean? Well, here it just says to be beneficial, and we get more unpacked later, but let's just do a quick walk through Paul's writings to understand every other time he uses that word beneficial. Uh, because that same word is used a number of times. Look at 1 Corinthians 10. Just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, benefit, but the profit of many, so they may be saved. What is beneficial is for the good of people, not seeking Paul's own benefit, but the benefit of others being saved. 1 Corinthians 7.35, Paul's, Paul's talking about marriage, and he says this, Now I'm saying this for your own benefit, for your own good. Not to put a restraint on you, but because of what is proper and so that you might be devoted to the Lord without distraction. What's Paul thinking about the gifts and skills he has? He's using them as he speaks God's word to them for their benefit so that they might be able to serve the Lord, serve Jesus without distraction. Paul's gifts are used for the benefit of others serving the Lord without distraction. 1 Corinthians 6.12, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is helpful, is of benefit. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Or Acts 20 verse 18, you see a little bit more here as well. You know from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews, and that I did not shrink back from proclaiming to you anything that was profitable, beneficial, or from, the, or from teaching it to you in public and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. What are the gifts to be used for? What is beneficial? What was profitable? So he taught in public and from house to house. He testified to Jew and Greek about repentance towards God and faith in Jesus as what? Lord. Serving Jesus as the king of my life, that is the purpose of the gifts so that we might see the importance of placing him as king. The gifts are to be used to serve one another, to do what's beneficial for the people of God. If you want to think about it this way, we're all public servants. We've been given gifts to serve the public. That's what we're made to do. An ability that you might have only becomes a gift if it's used in a spiritual way. You might have some abilities. You might be good at thinking through oversight or you might be good at explaining or teaching things, but it only becomes a spiritual gift when you use that in a spiritual way, when it's used for the common good of the church. Just lecturing in physics is is not really using the gifts that you have in a spiritual sense. It's just lecturing in physics. If you're teaching others in who God is and what he's done in Jesus... That is using the gift God has given you in teaching in a spiritual way. Before we ask, what is my gift? We need to ask, how can I serve? Before we kind of go, what's my role? How can I use this? We need to look at what are the needs of the place that I'm in? How can I 
be beneficial so that people might see Jesus as Lord. Becoming a Christian includes a fundamental shift from being a consumer to being a contributor. We need to stop being consumers and think, what gifts can I get for me? So I might have these awesome gifts and everyone will be like, whoa, look at you. And start thinking about how can I be beneficial? How can I use who God's made me for the building up of his kingdom? If God has given you a gift, the question is, are you using it? Are you using who he's made you for his glory and purpose? And as we think through the gifts that he's given us, are we using them in a half-hearted way? Or are we using them to serve God and his people? Are we saying, I'm going to use the gifts God has given me to the best of my ability because he's given this gift to me to serve him? Are you giving God your best with the gifts that you have? Or does your workplace get your best? Does, does kind of your pride or reputation get your best? As we think through how we serve in the church, we need to make sure that we are actually giving it our best. Last-minute preachers, last-minute connect group leaders, last-minute musicians, last-minute welcomers. We're not giving the congregation our best if we don't prepare. Now, if we botch it up on the day, there's only really one question that matters, and that is, did you give it your best? Did you use the gifts God has given you? Did you practice? If you're at home all day and all week and you didn't practice any of the music and you got to church and the whole music group fell apart because you didn't know your part, well, you haven't been using the gifts God's given you to the best of your ability. But if you did practice and you made a mistake, well, hey, we all make mistakes. God's good. We trust him. Are you using the gifts God has given you for his glory? Because he has given them to you to serve the church for what is beneficial. Well, as Paul begins this last section of this letter to the gifted church, we see what true spirituality is. It's not the seeking after extra power found by the Spirit in in super spiritualizing everything, nor is it minimizing the real and spiritual nature of God in us, showing us who Jesus is and what he's done by just rationalizing everything. True spirituality is living as a gracious recipient of God's Spirit. It's using all that he has made us for what is beneficial, for building up the church for the common good. So as we think through these next few weeks on these things of gifts and how we use who God's made us, make sure we encourage one another. When you see people expressing the gifts God's made them, when we see the diversity amongst us, remember, there is the same Spirit, the same God, the same Lord behind this gift. And I'm so thankful for you, that you are who you are, that God is using who you are for the common good. Encourage others when you see them. Express your thankfulness to God for what he is doing and what he has done and for how he has made you. And recognize what a privilege it is to be part of a group of people who have been gifted by God to serve one another. I count it a great blessing to be part of this church that you are in, to serve you and to be served by each of you in the different ways God has made you. What a joy it is. How great it is. Imagine if church was just us on our own. How boring. Maybe some of the introverts go, that'd be great how much you would miss out on the depth of some conversations, the skills and others to push you out to think through sharing. And imagine what us extroverts would miss out on. We'd be like, we want to talk to people, but there's no one to talk to. Or we'd be like, we don't want to think about that stuff. We just want to go around and, you know, 
and they're going to deepen us and help us to slow down. God has made us this way for His purpose and for His, His glory. So use the gifts God has given you to be truly spiritual followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, tonight we are so thankful that you do not remain silent. We are thankful that you have gifted each and every person who trusts in your son with gifts to be used for the benefit of your, your church and your world. We pray that you would use us with the skills and gifts and abilities we have to point people to see that Jesus is Lord. We pray that you would mold us and make us like your son, that his, his desires and hopes would be our desires and hopes, that we would love what Jesus loves and we would hate what he hates. By your spirit, shape us, change us, mold us, so that we might live truly spiritual lives. Let us not run from spirituality and from the spiritual realm. Let us not be afraid, but recognize that you are a spiritual God and that you do the miraculous and you move us. (laughs) The fact that we can call you our Father is a miracle in itself. Help us not to throw out rationality either, to think it's just about experience or or just about um, the amazing signs and what we can get for ourselves. Father, help us to be people that are shaped by your word through your spirit. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.